Hello, Malcolm here, and welcome to the second of our two classes on the topic of the theology of ecology. A quick word of explanation for those of you watching the video. You'll notice I'm not in my usual circumstances. I'm uh, sitting here in my mother's old office. Many of you will know my mother died recently, and my father also has been hospitalised. So I'm down at their place looking after the house and garden and helping out with a few things. And uh, I'm making this recording today in, uh, without my usual equipment, so I apologise for the lack of quality in the sound of video and also the fact that I can't edit it. I'm, having, I'm going to try and do this whole class in one take with no editing. Uh, let's see how we, we get on. Uh, so last time we talked about the way in which we should view the earth, this creation in fact, and, and what, is, what is God's vision for what he has made? Because only if we know his vision for what we, he has made can we know how to treat what he has made. So our impact on the environment must fit with his vision for this world. And I talked about last time, my contention, which is that this world is not going to be destroyed. It's not going to be removed. It's going to be refreshed, renewed, redeemed, um, uh, made all that it was meant to be, uh, bringing it back to the status it had in Eden in Genesis. And if that's God's vision for this, then we would do well to treat it well, would be my contention. Won't go into that more now, but if you want to look at the previous class, you'll get more uh, on that. Also, I want to say that I'm not going to try to in this class, try to prove issues connected with climate change. I'm not going to offer many examples of environmental destruction, that kind of thing. There's plenty of that on the television, uh, documentaries, uh, on Netflix, wherever, on the internet. Just go to the BBC website and look at the environment section if you like and educate yourself. I think most of us already know that there is a tremendous impact on for flora, fauna and humanitarian uh, human, human beings. So I'm not going to go into that today because I want to keep this class really reasonably short. What we are going to talk about today is the biblical themes of stewardship and the humanitarian impact of the way that we use the world's resources that God has given us. And I must also tell you that um, much of this is Penny's material, my wife, because she's been studying this and thinking about this a lot. And she and I were privileged to do some podcasts for Doug Jacoby. Was it last year or the year before? A lot of this material comes from uh, the preparation we did for those classes. So first of all, stewardship. What is God's mandate to you and I? What did he put us on this earth to do? What's his perspective on how we should be treating the great gifts that he has given us in this amazing creation? Well, we need to go back to the beginning, don't we? Genesis 1, 26 to 28. God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule. And we're going to come back to that word, very important word. So that they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, over the livestock, and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. Very important. Then also, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. He blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, uh, be, uh, fill the earth and subdue it. Again, we're going to talk about that in a minute. Subdue, what does that mean? The word rule comes back again. Rule over the fish in the sea, birds in the sky, every living creature that moves on the ground. So this is what God has said is his intention in creating you and I and humankind. And then in Genesis chapter 2 verse 15, the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Very important words, to work it and take care of it. So we have some very significant words in the first two chapters of Genesis, rule, subdue, work, take care. Let's explore these words. I think it'll help us understand what we're meant to be doing. Firstly, 
The word work here in the Hebrew can also be translated as tend, serve, that kind of thing. And the word care can be translated as guard. So perhaps God is saying to us, tend what I've made, serve what I've made, guard what I've made. In other words, not destroy, use up, uh, suck the living life out of the, the planet and the creation. Tend it, serve it, guard it. Aren't those lovely words? Similar words are used in the book of Leviticus when it's talking about the priesthood. That's how the priests were meant to be. They were meant to tend, to serve, to guard. They were there to rule, yeah, but what kind of sense were they to rule? They were to tend, to serve, and to guard. And of course, we're all, in a sense, priests in one way, right? And think about Jesus. What about Jesus? In Luke 22, verse 26, Jesus said, to his apostles, you are not to be like that. In other words, the way that people in the world uh, uh, rule. You're not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. The one who rules like the one who serves. Don't be like the, the, the rulers of the world. Be different. Be like me, who came as one to serve. Because Jesus is our ruler, in a sense. He is our Lord and King. But how does he exercise that kingship? How does he exercise that right and responsibility to rule? He serves. That's the same thing for us. And that's what God is telling us in Genesis. I'm giving you these gifts. It's, I'm really glad to give them to you. Subdue it. Rule it. Take care of it. Work it. By loving it. By cherishing it. By giving it your best. So that you can enjoy it. Because if you don't give it your best, you won't enjoy it. But also you won't be able to pass it on to those who come after you because you are supposed to, well, what does he say? Um, uh, what's the phrase here? Be fruitful and increase in number, right? They are going to be fruitful and increase in number and we continue to do that. But that's not the issue. The issue is not being fruitful and increasing in number. The issue is how do we treat what we have been given? So in other words, what are we? We're caretakers. That's what you and I are. We're caretakers. We are not the owners. This world does not belong to you and me. It belongs to our Lord. It belongs to our God. It's on loan to you and me. He's glad to be able to loan it to us, but it is not ours. Think of Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is yours, mine. No, the earth is the Lord's. And everything in it, everything, every single thing, every single animal, every single insect, every single microbe, everything in it, the world and all who live in it, everybody, it belongs to the Lord. So how are we treating that which is on loan to us? How are we doing it taking care of what God has given us? You probably heard the old, uh, the old adage that you should, if you borrow something, you should always return it, at least in the same condition in which you received it, and possibly better. Could you, could you leave a room tidier than uh, when you first came in? I'm sitting here in my mother's office. I, that's something that she said to me from time to time. Make sure you leave somewhere better than you found it. Shouldn't we leave people better than we find them? Shouldn't we leave this world better than we find it when we first come into it? One of the recent things that's been uh, in the news is the fact that they're finding plastic in breast milk these days. And I offer that not to say, you know, because is that harmful or not is another question, but just the very fact that there is plastic in breast milk is something to be thinking about. And again, I'm not going to give you lots of statistics today. They can be argued, of course, but nonetheless, there is great degradation in our planet today and it is having a terrible impact on the flora, the flora and uh, of humankind in, in general, especially those vulnerable. We'll talk more about in a minute. 
Think about what Job said in Job 31, verses 38 to 40. And he's, he's got a clear conscience here, but he's saying, if my land cries out against me, he's got this idea that, and I know it's poetic, but this idea that the land could cry out against him if he had not taken care of it properly. If the land cries out against me and all its furrows are wet with tears, if I've caused pain to the earth, if I have devoured its yield without payment or broken the spirit of its tenants, then let briars come up instead of wheat and stinkweed instead of barley. And Job has a clear conscience that he's treated his tenants and his land well, but he's saying, I know it would be wrong if I didn't do that. If I mistreated the tenants and if I uh, mistreated the land, it would cry out against me. Is the land, is our land crying out against us by the way that we're treating it? Something to think about. So this first part of stewardship, you and I have been given a, a steward's responsibility to look after what God has given us. And consequently, we need to think about how, what impact that's, uh, how, how we're doing with that and the impact that's having on, on other people. The way we treat this world is meant to glorify God and to benefit all who are in this world to be able to use the resources that God has given us. So that's stewardship. Now, secondly, let's talk about uh, compassion. Let's talk about the humanitarian impact and, in fact, the impact on animals as well, not just humans. So we're talking about here about what's the right attitude to have towards the impact on the, the way we use the world's resources on humans and animals and perhaps plants as well. So compassion might be the point here. Let's think about God's perspective on work and rest and refreshment and replenishment. The Sabbath is the obvious example from the Old Covenant. How did, why did God give the Israelites the Sabbath? Now, that's a whole other lesson in itself. Lots of good reasons, but at least part of it is to do with the land animals, the workers, everybody. So let's think about this. For example, in Exodus 23 verses 10 to 12, God gives this instruction. For six years you are to sow your fields and harvest the crops, but during the seventh year, the Sabbath year, let the land lie unplowed and unused. Unplowed, unused, just leave it be for a whole year. Then the poor among your people may get food from it, because some things will grow anyway without being tended and planted. The poor will get some food and the wild animals may eat what is left. God cares about the wild animals, not just the domesticated ones, not just the ones uh, like an ox or a horse or a donkey. The, the wild animals will eat what's left. Do the same for your vineyard and your olive grove. So one year and seven, leave it all be. Six days do your work, so here's the week as well. On the seventh day, do not work, so that, why? So that your ox and donkey may rest. <laughs> he cares about the ox and the donkey. And so that the slave born in your household and the foreigner living among you may be refreshed. In other words, not only you have a Sabbath, but your slave have a Sabbath. They may not be Jewish. They may not be of the people of Israel. Let the foreigner living with you. Don't, don't beat them to death with seven days working. You have the Sabbath off, but make sure your the other people in your household have the day off and make sure that your, what is it, ox and donkey. In other words, your animals also have time to get refreshed. He cares. God cares about the animals. And yes, there's a practical element here because if you overwork an animal, of course, they won't be productive. But nonetheless, this is God's instruction. Take, in other words, it's all about take care of what you've got, steward it uh, well, have compassion. 
in Deuteronomy 25 verse 4. Uh, God says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. In other words, while it's doing you the work that you want it to do, treading out the grain, let it eat. Don't muzzle it. You've got to feed it. You say, well, that makes sense. But just think about this for a minute in terms of the, the emotional impact of that statement. Let me quote to you from a book by Sandra Richter. I recommend her books if you want to look her up. Dr. Sandra Richter, R-I-C-H-T-E-R. You can find some very helpful material there. She says this about this, uh, this instruction. The average Israelite village experienced a shortfall of 15 million calories per year. These were not easy farming conditions, by the way, in the Near East at that time. So your average village, this is anthropologists and archaeologists working together, have calculated that uh, the average village would sh suffer a shortfall of 15 million calories per year. That's a lot of calories. In other days, that would translate to roughly 60 days of food per family. So in the average 365 day year, there would be 60 days on which the family would not eat. Not because they're doing some kind of fancy fasting diet thing that you and I have a choice about doing, but because there was not enough food to eat on that day. Adults, children, everybody. Imagine that. That's what's going on here. Although this sort of hungry season is not a surprise to the anthropologist, it certainly helps the modern reader to humanise the experience of our biblical ancestors. I hope, she says, you are beginning to realise that when God commands the Israelites not to muzzle his 800-pound working bovine, he is talking to a man who is hungry. So it's all very well to say, yeah, don't muzzle the ox, you know, because uh, I've had my breakfast. But what about when you're hungry and you're not going to have breakfast, you're not going to have lunch and you're not going to have dinner? Don't muzzle the ox. That five to seven pounds of grain that the ox, ox would consume over a single day of threshing made a difference. So it's hard to obey these commands. The point is, that I know that some of us feel like it's really hard to figure out how best to manage the issues as to what I buy and the impact it makes. And some of us, I fear, just sit back and say, it's too complicated. I can't, I can't figure it out. How do I know where the, whether the food I'm buying is, 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 is responsibly sourced or the clothes I'm buying are, are um, being made in a responsible way in terms of the environment and the impact on humans? It's just too difficult for me. I don't think we have that option, especially not in the West. And we don't have that option to say it's too complicated. There are people who can explain it to us. There are uh, people that we know and there may be people we don't know that we can read about and we can read and we can study, we can research online and we can get better informed. Maybe we won't ever become an expert. That's not the call here. But the point is to make sure that we are doing our best to be as educated as we can be so that we can make the best responsible choices we can so that this world and the people in it and the animals in it are a resource that is shepherded, that is uh, stewarded not just for now, but for the next generation and the generation after that. Your children, my children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, will they be thanking you or cursing you for the choices that you made about whether to find out better what the impact is that you're making on this world and we're making on this, in this world? The vulnerable are, are the animals are vulnerable by definition, of course, but also human beings are affected by the way that we treat the resources in this world. Isaiah 58 verse 7, and then talking about true fasting, God says this, what is true fasting? What is really the kind of fasting I'm looking for? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. This is the heart that we have, isn't it, as Christians? We want that we've got food 
let me share it rather than let me take your food and and use it and not worry about the impact it makes on you let's share our food let's provide the wanderer with shelter rather than um uh, unthinkingly using up the resources which create things like climate change and the rise in sea levels which mean that many people don't have their homes anymore many cities in the world will be destroyed and and most of those places will be in, in areas of the world where people are very vulnerable uh, as the climate change experts tell us um, most of the western world would not be affected that much by say a rise in uh, sea level most of western uh, of europe and, and, and the uk uh, most of it will be more or less okay but it's in places like uh, with, with the low-lying coastal areas where so many millions live in parts of africa and asia and southeast asia they will be hugely affected and we should care about that what we should do about it is perhaps another discussion and question but we should certainly care about it and that should motivate us to figure out what we can do what can we do it's not what can't we do we can't change everything but it doesn't mean we shouldn't try and do something motivated out of obedience to God and a desire to care about what he cares about. Amos 5 verse 24. Let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. God cares about justice, God cares about righteousness, he cares about the impact we're having on those who are vulnerable. Isaiah chapter 10. Woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees, to deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless. He says, and he said, well, I'm not making any unjust laws, but perhaps by our choices, we're causing people to be oppressed, to be deprived of what they need. It's something for us to think about soberly. Leviticus 22, uh, 23, verse 22. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest, leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you i am the lord your god god cares about the vulnerable the foreigner the poor he says don't take everything you can take what you need but leave the the, the bonus leave the blessings so that others who are poor and vulnerable can be taken care of so let me uh let me stop with my my, my main points here about stewardship and compassion uh, we are called to be stewards we are called to uh, care about the impact on other people and animals that our choices uh, make and and if we love what God loves then we should show it by the way that we choose uh, how to use the resources that God has given us a book I read a long time ago I think it's a quite common illustration put it like this the person who says I love Rembrandt I think his paintings are amazing he is my favorite painter I love him passionately I think he's incredible he's the best painter ever the person who says that and then uses Rembrandt paintings for firewood and to burn is a hypocrite. Clearly, they don't really mean what they say. We like to say as Christians, we love God and we love what God loves. God loves this world. He said what well, it was good, very good. He's going to redeem it. He thinks it's worth redeeming. He sent Jesus to redeem not just you and I, but all of creation. We say we love him, but then we treat the world with abandon, with with, with a, a, a lack of forethought we, and we allow it to be uh, the resources to be not only depleted but to, for the impact to be uh, horrendous on animals and plants and, and people do we really love God if we really love God it means we love what he loves uh, Gus Speth to quote from Gus Speth who was uh, uh, working for the United Nations for many years in the areas of advising around uh, environmental impact issues 
said this. I used to think that the top environmental problems were bio biodiversity loss, ecosystem collapse and climate change. I thought that 30 years of good science could address these problems. I was wrong. The top environmental problems are selfishness, greed and apathy. And to deal with these, we need a cultural and spiritual transformation. And we scientists don't know how to do that. Yes, scientists can help us fix some of the problems, but they don't know how to change human behavior. You and I, by the way that we live, can illustrate how to change, how to live differently in a way that honors God and protects what God has made that is so beautiful. Richter says, if I were to summarize the message of the Old Testament regarding creation care into a single proverb, it would be this. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains. You may make use of it in your need, but you shall not abuse it in your greed. I like that. You may make use of it in your need, but you shall not abuse it in your greed. Well, what's your response to all this? I wonder. How we spend our money has an impact on the environment in general, animals and vulnerable uh, humans. It's our responsibility to educate ourselves theologically, biblically, educate ourselves on the environment uh, about animal welfare and the human impact of how we use our resources. I pray this has been a blessing to you and helpful. I try to keep this class short. It's just over 20 minutes. I'm sure there's lots to discuss, lots of questions and lots of things you might disagree with. I don't know. That's fine. Uh, and nonetheless, uh, we're going to learn together, aren't we? I do hope this is useful. I really believe passionately that we should be taking care of what God has given us the best we can. We can't, it, it, this side of Jesus coming back, this world will not be perfect. Even though David Attenborough made that lovely series, Perfect Planet, it has the potential to be perfect once again after Jesus comes back. But we should be Im we should be imaging that perfection in the way that we treat this world, just as we are doing anything else we're trying to do for God. I hope this is helpful. Do let me know your thoughts and give me some feedback. You can email me, malcolm at malcolmcox.org. You can find lots of resources on my website. I have a page there, which I'm beginning to populate more and more with ideas, resources, and uh, things to do with ecology and theology. So there's a specific page on my website, malcolmcox.org. And let's keep talking and discussing this because as the days, weeks, months and years go by, we're going to find this topic and the practical issues around it to be more and more significant for us, our children, our grandchildren and all the generations to come. Hope that's useful. Take care and God bless.